So anyway, after the game, uh, 20 students come kind of running up to me and they was like, man, you knocked those guys' lights out. So I kind of just played it off and went into it. It just naturally happened. I said, yeah, you know, call me lights out. The next day, so we played on a Saturday. The Monday, when we got to school, everybody was like, you know, I'm holding my book bag and I got some books in my hand. I'm walking to class. And everybody like kind of hit me on my back and, yo, what's up, lights out? And I was like, damn, this thing like caught on. Right. So from that point on, you know, lights out stuck with me through high school and then stuck with me through college and then through, through the pros. Welcome to the next episode of What's Next with Eric Wood. Our next guest is a former teammate of mine in Buffalo and one of the baddest dudes to ever play in the NFL, and that's Sean Merriman. After being a first-round draft pick out of the University of Maryland, Sean would win the NFL Defensive Rookie of the Year Award, become a three-time Pro Bowler and three-time All-Pro, would lead the league in sacks in 2006, and create a reputation as one of the hardest hitters in the NFL. In this episode, you will hear about how Sean got the nickname Lights Out. We will tell some stories about our time playing together in Buffalo and also hear about his transition out of the NFL and the business he has created in the Lights Out brand. Please take time to rate, review, and especially subscribe to this podcast so that every new episode will get pushed to your phone automatically each week and you will help spread the impact that I hope to make through this podcast. Enjoy. Lights, welcome to the show, brother. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. It's, it's been a while. It has been, and I was trying to think about it. In 2018, we were both at the NFL draft together because it was former first-round picks, and we had kind of talked about it then, coming on the podcast, doing some stuff together, and between coronavirus and everything else, we haven't connected, but I, I'm super fired up to connect now. No, same here, man. And then uh, I think that was the first time I seen you in person and since you started looking like a supermodel, yeah, I, I remember that, Eric. Man, you know, I didn't remember that, dude. You got you got low standards, and this is what a supermodel. <laughs> like. Hey, yeah. why don't you start off by telling the listeners about where you grew up and, and what kind of athlete were you as a kid? Yeah, I grew up in uh, in Prince George's County, Maryland. I was born in Washington D.C., and I grew up in in Prince George's County, Maryland. Um, and you know, funny enough, um, I was I was small you know, when I was younger and people see me now and say, Oh, when did you get big? And I was, I was small earlier. And, uh, I was just a hell of an athlete. I played basketball first and then I played, uh, I started playing football. Now I got into football because I was too aggressive for basketball. So I was going out and following every game and my, my basketball coach said, you know what, we, we got something for you that you might like. And, uh, I ended up when I tried out for football, and uh, I got to uh, camp late. My mom took me to register for, for camp and stuff late. And they said, what position do you want to play? And I said, coach, I don't care. I just want to hit somebody. And they all smiled. And at the time, I didn't know, like, that's what football coaches wanted to hear. But that was my personality. So I was, I was like that kid. That's awesome. Yeah, and, and it's funny. Like, when you start off in the basketball world, then you're not burnt out on football. When you start out as a smaller dude, you learn how to play in different ways and then when you get the size when you get the speed and the strength you can put it all together and that probably leads into what I I know the story but I want to hear it from your end how'd you get the nickname lights out <laughs> my uh my sophomore year in high school I went to Frederick Douglass High School in Upper, Bar- Upper Marlboro Maryland and uh my sophomore year in high school and I told you I was always I was small my you know my, my most of my childhood even at uh, my sophomore year in high school I was six feet uh, maybe 168 pounds playing middle line, playing 
by linebackers. And but when you're smaller, you get this little man's mentality where, you know, you want to go out and fly around and hit everybody. And you're aggressive and you're just, you know, you have that like that small syndrome, like just gritty and scratching for every inch. And like that was my attitude. But I started to get some size with that. Uh, so we were playing a, a team called Fort Meade, who was a military school. And uh, I went out and knocked out four guys in one game. Now, the uh, three guys came in the first half. And this, uh, one of the second guys came on the second, second half. We kicked the onside kick, and they lined me up at, as, the, as the three. And I'm flying down, and the ball bounced. He went down to pick it up, and he was out, right? So, and that, that was just my mentality, man, was because uh, I didn't have the size necessarily to do it, but I, I had the mentality to do it. So anyway, after the game, uh, 20 students come kind of running up to me, and they was like, man, you knocked those guys' lights out. So I kind of just played it off and went into it. It just naturally happened. I said, yeah, you know, call me lights out. The next day, so we played on a Saturday. The Monday when we got to school, everybody was like, you know, I'm holding my book bag, and I got some books in my hand. I'm walking to class, and everybody, like, kind of hit me on my back, and, yo, what's up, lights out? And I was like, damn, this thing, like, caught on. Right. So – from that point on, you know, lights out stuck with me through high school and then stuck with me through college and then through, through the pros. It's funny. I always say it takes four seconds to make an impression and four years to change it. Well, you have one game, one instance, and now years later, people are still calling you lights out. When did the dance come? So, you know, it's, it's, it's funny. Um, after, you know, we, I went to school that Monday and everybody called me lights out. I went to my mom and, you know, we didn't have any money, man. We stayed, we stayed in the hood. We stayed in a uh, lower class neighborhood and we grew up extremely rough. Um, but I, I wanted to convince her to get a, uh, I had a friend that draw me a hand switch and a light switch on, on paper. And I said, man, I want to get this as a tattoo. So I went home. It's probably about two weeks later after that game. I said, mom, like everybody's calling me lights out. I want this lights out tattoo. And she said, boy, get the hell out of here, is what she said. She said, boy, get the hell out of here. And I looked at her, I said, mom, please. And the tattoo was like, I'll never forget, it was $58. It was a $58 tattoo back then. I said, mom, please, I want this tattoo. So uh, she, I finally convinced her. She told me if I keep my grades up, do all the things I need to do, she will give me to get this uh, tattoo. Um, got the tattoo. And so I, in high school, I, got, you know, I had it there. And college is where I initially came up with the Lights Out Dance. So my freshman year, we uh, were playing. I, I didn't start. I was coming off the bench um, as, a, as a true freshman. Uh, they put me in a game on, a, uh, you know, on ESPN. It was the first big game, national game, I got a chance to play in against Georgia Tech. So coach throws me in the game. We run a cover four. I'm in the flats. I'm hopping in coverage on a running back. But I see a wide receiver, Watkins, coming across uh, the field you know, kind of drifting across on the over route. Right. And I came and I, boom, I hit him, leveled him, right? And I got up and I pretended to flick this light switch, <laughs> right, like going off. And the crowd got loud. And I wasn't jumping around and dancing and doing all the stuff I was doing before. But I, the crowd got me hyped. And that's when the whole jumping came in and they got louder. And so I said, man, this is crazy. The energy in the, in the stadium, we were, it was a home game, was crazy. I got on the sideline, and my, my head coach, uh, Ralph Friedman, who was the coach at the time, said, if you ever do that again, your ass will never play, is what he told me. So I went from here being the most excited dude, hyped up on the field, right. to kind of putting my head between my legs like an 11-year-old kid. So I'm going down the sideline, and my the defensive coordinator, Gary Blackney, and my linebacker coach, and everybody, my teammates, kind of smacking me on the head. And, 
oh, you know, what was, what was that you just did? I said, yeah, that was a lights out dance, right? So I, I kind of played into it again. And it stuck with me again, man. She said, man, you got you to gotta do that. And uh, so I, to me, man, it was, um, it, was, it was a little bit of creativity. That I, I guess at the time, I was too young to understand, like, what branding and all that stuff was, how big it was kind of going to be. Uh, but that's how it happened, man. It, it, was, it was really quick. Man, that is, that is such a good story. I had never heard about the dance. That's, that's phenomenal. You go on that. You have a great NFL career, defensive rookie of the year, countless sacks, three times all pro, three pro bowls. But the end of your career was hampered by injuries. If it wasn't yeah. hampered by injuries, how many years would you have liked to play? Ten. I mean, max, max. I, I think for the, the way I played the game, you know, anywhere from eight to – 10 years for me uh, to walk out the game like I walked out. I mean, I had some, uh, you know, the Achilles injury, injury, which right. really is the one that, that, you know, took me from from where I was playing to here because the Achilles is just the ultimate. Worst, as you know, as an athlete, we need it for everything. Right. Um, but if I had a, a solid 10-year career, and I had, you know, I was, I'm like, I always manifest. I manifest a lot of stuff, man, even back then and still to, the, still to this day, I manifest a lot of things. So I always – Envision me going, playing nine or ten years, getting nine or ten Pro Bowls, get a ring or two. I like I had this, you know, all pros and defensive rookie of the year and defensive play of the year. I had all of this um, in my head, and like you said, man, I, after my third year, um, yeah, I, I, I tore my knee, full reconstruction, um, and then I followed it up like a year or so later with my Achilles because of the, the whole compensation thing. Uh, so. Yeah, man, I, I, I didn't want to play too much longer than what I already played. And you know, man, football is a violent game, and not a lot of guys walk out of the game like they came in it just because of the nature of the beast. So, uh, yeah, I always envisioned myself playing somewhere somewhere around there. Yeah, that's how, for some reason, all of us guys get that 10-year mark in our head, and I, I end up at nine when my career ended. And it's, it's funny, like, that's one year. It means nothing in the grand scheme of things. But, like, to me, it's like, man, I would like to get that 10. I, like, I want to touch on you manifesting things in your life. What's that look like on a day-to-day -day basis now for you as, you know, you're, you're a businessman and everything else you have going on? You know, um, so, you know, I always, I always tell guys, especially, and I don't, I don't know if you had a problem, but when I, when I retired, I retired prematurely, I thought I was going to play a lot longer, than, a, little bit, well, a little bit longer than I did. And you kind of go through the struggles of trying to uh, – figure out like the next stage and transition and I was and I had everything lined up like I've been planning and lights out I had all this stuff lined up but I wasn't playing football anymore so like that it, it kind of took a jab at me it took the wind out of me that I wasn't doing what I've been doing since I was you know 10 11 years old um but I did have a bunch of things in place and so by manifesting I, I had everything ready to go it's like hey I wanted to get in the TV obviously I, I lived out on the west Coast. I played for the Chargers in San Diego but I spent a lot of time here where I am now in L.A. shooting TV, whether it was uh, broadcasting. And, you know, I got a chance to do some great shows like uh, The Entourage. I was on in, in the mid to late 2000s and Mad TV. I've done uh, five movies and you know, I've done a lot of stuff. And I was just I was ready to go mentally. But physically, I was like, man, I, I got you know, I, I want to keep playing. Um, so once I got over that, it took about a year or two before I said, you know what, I'm done with the game. That's it. I'm not going back and moved on to something else. Now the, the manifesting comes into like, okay, what, what do I want to do now? Right. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm a, I'm a planner. I'm, I'm a solid planner. I'm not like, 
hey, I'm going to just go out and win. It's like, okay, no, no, no. This is what I'm going to do by this time. I'm doing this time. And I got to be at this meeting at 9.45. I got to leave out the door by 10 o'clock to make it somewhere at 10.25. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm that. Um, and that's – I think I got that from playing football, but I'm applying it now to everything that I do now, man. It's, it's like clockwork. That's awesome. That, that's great stuff. A couple more on your career. One – How'd you enjoy your time in Buffalo? There's a lot of people that tune into this podcast from Buffalo. How'd you enjoy your time in Buffalo? You, you know, it's, it's funny, man, because people ask me all the time. And, and, and I'm honest, I, I keep it always 100. And I tell people, I said, initially, I didn't want to go, you know. And um, my, my guy, Buddy Nix, man, he and I love Buddy to death. Uh, he was in with, with the Chargers in San Diego when I was playing there. So Buddy knew me extremely well. And we had a great relationship there. Um, and so I got waived by the Chargers, which it was, a, it was a sad day. But obviously, I knew it was coming because I just couldn't stay healthy. I had a, a partially torn Achilles that I was kind of gimping around on. Uh, and I, I was nowhere near myself uh, that I was. So I knew it was coming. I just didn't know when. And to hear those words, you've been released, cut, waived, or whatever it is, traded, whatever those words are, it's like a dagger to somebody who played at the highest, highest, highest level um, with accolades and so and so forth. So uh, I remember I got waived. It was right after the Raiders game. Uh, it was somewhere in October. And I'm sitting around for, I think, a couple days or however long it was. And, you know, I'm not moping, but I'm like, damn, you know, like I just got cut. You know, I couldn't ever envision myself getting – it was just not in my head. of like, yo, you don't cut me. I just went to the Pro Bowl, right? Right. Um, but I got a call from Buddy Nix. And Buddy's like, Sean, you know, I got waived. So at the time, I think it was four or five teams. I think me and, me and uh, Randy Moss or somebody, no, no, me and someone else got cut around that time. But I got waived and picked up with waivers by like four or five teams, which at the time was like one of the most, uh, uh, I guess, teams getting coming after a player in a, in a waiver. So normally they let you pass, pass through the waivers. Yeah, because they had to, so, take, they had to take on your contract at that point. Right, right. They had to take on a contract. So uh, I thought about, man, at the time, just sitting out the rest of the season, getting my surgery done and getting back healthy and then coming back when, when the time was right and I knew I was healthy. So uh, I, Buddy next called me and, and Buddy said, Sean, you know, he said, Sean, uh, you know, we, we want you out here in Buffalo. You know, Buddy, oh, Buddy, told, we want you out here in Buffalo. I said, Buddy, look, I love you to death. You know I do. Um, I, I don't mind coming to Buffalo, but right now I'm injured. I don't think that's the best place for me. I think at the time, uh, you know, it would, they were set well, like 0-7 or 0-6 or something like that or whatever yeah. whatever the record was. At the time, I said, buddy, you know, you guys aren't going to the playoffs this year. You're already, you know, you're about knocked out of the playoffs unless you damn near went out at this point. I said, hey, man, let me go to another team that's, that has the opportunity to go to the playoffs, and then let's talk. I fly out there to Buffalo after the season. He said, Sean, I hear you, but we want you out here in Buffalo. I said, buddy, please, like, don't do it, man. Like, I'm trying to go and whatever. And it was, that, that conversation wasn't all that pleasant. And this is somebody, man, who I, just, I had the utmost respect for. And I loved to death. And I had, it was a very difficult conversation of me even talking to him like that. Um, and sure enough, he called me back when we got on the phone. He said, Sean, we, we, put, in, we put in your contract and uh, you're coming here to Buffalo. I said, buddy, I'm not coming. I said, I don't care what contract you guys put in. Whatever you got to do, do it. I'm not coming out there. He said, well, if you don't come out there, uh, I think it's at the time it was ten dollars to $15,000 a fine a day. 
Yeah. And I said, okay, all right, well, when you guys send, a, send in the plane. <laughs> that's funny. Because, uh, you know, they were going to find me 15000 a day. Yeah, but, that's no joke. So I, I'll, I'll fast forward and say this. I got there, and obviously San Diego, 75 degrees year-round. Um, got there, landed in Buffalo, and it's like three feet of snow right. on the ground. I'm, I'm on a runway. I got on a, a, a hoodie, uh, Jordan, you know, basketball shorts and flip-flops. And I'm like, what is going on? I was, it was a complete shell shock for me. Oh. And the, the weather was so bad, the blizzard, that I couldn't even see them standing at the uh, – it was uh, Russ. Russ was down there. Uh, Buddy and uh, I think uh, like two more other people, and they were standing at the, on the runway, and I couldn't see them because the weather oh. was so bad. But anyway, I got there, man, and it was uh, – it was one of the best experiences, man, of my life. And I'm not, I'm not just saying that because, you know, and, and with the Chargers, we won a lot of football games. But right. people came into the game because we won. I mean, this, you know, 75 degrees out there and, and there's many things to do. You've got the beaches all over the place, nice restaurants and all, you know, everywhere. There's plenty of other things to do. So people came to the games because our teams were so hot at the time. But it was a different level of love in Buffalo that I experienced that I haven't before again my career uh, and then I also when I got there I got into the locker room and I remember I think Stevie Johnson was the first person I met because I think most of everybody was gone but I think Stevie was in there getting some rehab or something like that so Stevie was one of the guys that I met first and he was just telling me like how he was glad for me to be there so it was a different welcoming feeling it was more like a, a family environment right uh, where it, with the Chargers it wasn't like that. it was like we were hot and people came to the games and people were involved and wanted to be around us because we won a lot of games and we had LT and Phillip Rivers and all these other big players, Antonio Gates and, and, and all, you know, Nick Harwick. And we had these great players. Um, but when I got to Buffalo, man, it was something I never experienced. And I still talk about that feeling to this day. Man, that's so cool to hear you say that. And, and it is different up there because there isn't that much to do outside of the state being around the guys. So we spend a lot more time together. Yeah. And then, when we go out, there's not 50 places to go. There's a couple. So we end up running into each other out, and you can actually get to each other's houses because it's five, ten minutes away as opposed to in a huge city. You might live an hour away from somebody. <laughs> my favorite moment, my favorite memory from playing with you was we came off of – so you came in that year. We started the season 0-8. Then we finished the season 4-4 four and four with Fitz at quarterback. So we had a good amount of hope going into next year. We picked a few guys up in the offseason like – we thought we had a pretty good team. We stunk in the preseason, but we didn't care. And, and we were, like, young enough and kind of just brash enough that you couldn't really tell us anything. And we went to Kansas City, who was coming off a playoff appearance. They're picked to win their division. And we go to play Kansas City on the 10-year anniversary of 9-11. And before the game, your pregame speech, which kind of alludes to something you got into after you're done, was like a pro wrestler. Like in the like, it was not like a, a football speech I'd ever heard. Kyle Williams is one of the most phenomenal speakers ever in a locker room, but yours was just a little bit different, a little bit more profanity, a little, a uh, little bit more energy. Slop. I mean, it was nuts, and it was on the field, and we went out and waxed those dudes. And I was like, bro, you got the pregame speech every week until this week's <laughs> over. And man, we had we had fun, and you know what? We got dinged up. We didn't have depth, and that's what happens when you fire your head coach every two or three years. You don't have depth yeah. on a roster. So as soon as we got dinged up, 
we faded, but we were five and two that year. Our only two losses were a last second field goal by the eventual Super Bowl champs in New York against the Giants and a last second field goal against the Bengals who ended up making the playoffs that year as well. So uh, we started off hot and we, we, we did give it our all that year. Go ahead. Yeah, no, so, so to that point, so uh, one of the conversations I had with Stevie when I first walked in the locker room, Stevie said, look, man, we're trying to build what you guys got had out there with the Chargers. You know, obviously we were winning a lot of games at the time. And this is, you know, so when I talk about Buffalo and the teams that, that, I, that we had back then when we played is I didn't understand how, how the team was 0-6 or 0-7 when I got in. I didn't understand the record. Because I'm looking at the locker room, and I'm, I'm comparing locker rooms now because, you know, we won a lot of games out there, and I'm, you know, here. And, you know, I look at Nick Harvard, pro bowl, all pro guy, and I'm looking at you. I was like, okay, we, we got another great center, right? Uh, I played with Jamal Williams, and then I go out there and get a chance to play with Kyle Williams. And I'm like, okay, we got a great D tackle. So I'm going across the board, Freddie Jackson and Steve Johnson, uh, you know, Steve Johnson, all these, you know, just going around, and I'm, and, and I'm, I'm baffled. I'm back, and it, it didn't make any sense to me on the, the teams that we had out there in Buffalo and the record. I just still to this day, um, I just don't, I don't understand how you know you're not going out winning division. And we did go out. I think it was in 2011 we beat the Patriots when they came, yep. you know, when they came to us. And uh, and I'm like, man, that just if you compare the teams, and, I, and I'm coming from one uh, you know team to another. And I'm like across the board, man. It's 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 not it's pretty not far. It's not far off. Yeah. Right? When you look at some of the positions. Yeah, for sure. We were talented. Like I mentioned, we had the depth issue, uh, which came from turnover uh, within the organization over and over. When you're trying to draft for different schemes, and then when you throw in the fact that the greatest run in professional sports that the Patriots had, like we were right in their hot spot. So twice a year. So there was countless times in Buffalo that we were six and 10, seven and nine, eight and eight, nine and seven and missed the playoffs. Well, if you, if we wouldn't have had the Patriots to play twice a year, that makes a big difference, you know, hundred percent. And so, but we'll, we'll move on. I want to know this. Who was the toughest offensive tackle that you went against in your career? Oh, uh, I would say what probably Walter Jones up, oh, in, yeah. up in Seattle. And I, I seen some hogs now, especially early on, because you know early on you had these big mean guys. I played against Willie Rolfe uh, twice a year, or you know he was later on in his career. It was early in my career, right? Uh, Orlando Pace, um, I used to see Orlando Pace, uh, and then you know I had Marcus McNeil to see every day in practice, right? And so you know I had to constantly see dogs all the time. But it was something about Walter Jones, man, this uh, a, a human that was that big and could move his feet like that. I mean, his feet, he moved like a tight end, but he was, you know, 350 pounds. Yeah, no uh, doubt. Walter Jones' film just looks different. He's so in control, you could never go through him, and he's so athletic, he just runs you by the quarterback, can't make an inside move, he'll just swallow you up. His film was like nothing I'd ever seen. Yeah, no, and, and it, it was even crazier to see him on the field um, because I've seen some big guys, but like Leonard Davis was the biggest human being I've seen with my, right. with my own two eyes. Field. Leonard Davis was his next level big, but Walter Jones was big, but you see him trotting around and he's going through his pass rush moves and his steps and he's kick sliding, kick sliding like the damn tight end and coming off the ball and moving on screens. I'm like, dude, this is uh this is next level. So definitely, definitely Walter Jones. 
That's good stuff. You mentioned your transition out of the NFL, and now you have your company, Lights Out Extreme, and you've done the MMA stuff. You, you got all this stuff going. What advice would you give to guys transitioning out of the NFL to find something that they're passionate about or as they get into business, whatever that may be? Um, you know, what I, one, one thing, man, we're, we're special human beings, right? We're the most disciplined people on the planet Earth. And that from the start of that alone, it gives up us an advantage um, out of most people that's, that's walking out here and in, in, in the job field is looking for a job or trying to build or create something or dealing with adversity because we, we dealt with it, whether it's injury or whatever it is. So right off the bat, we have like these special things that are like 98% of people out here in this world don't. We know how to be somewhere on time. We know how to get up. Because, you know, if, you, if you're five minutes late somewhere, you're getting fined, you know, $5,000 or you're getting suspended. And, you know, there's no calling in to the boss and say, hey, I'm, I'm feeling sick today. I don't think I can come in. It's right. none of that. Right? You know, hey, coach, I got the flu today. I'm going I'm to stay home. No, no, no. You come in here in this training room and you still, you're still going to do something. You're going to get a workout in. If we, you know, watch film. You're still working somehow. Right. And. So right off the bat, we, we have something that 98% of people don't have out here in this world. And so the rest of that end up coming in hard work, ethic, being able to push yourself. So then you start getting, getting into um, something that, you, that you're passionate about that's not really work to you. And for me, the reason why I'm in lifestyle extreme fighting because I, I picked up MMA uh, when, I was, when I was playing with the Chargers back in between 2005 and 2006. I just wanted to get better with my hand-eye coordination, being able to open my hips and my balance, my conditioning, and then do like you know the same football workouts every single year. So I, I saw it translate on the football field. So, um, and I grew up in Maryland, D.C., Virginia. So there's tons of professional boxers. But I grew up. My, I have two uncles that's professional professional boxers. And look, we at the cookouts when we were growing up, we had family problems. Those gloves came out, bro. And we got, you know, we got it on. Like me and my cousins or what we got, we had problems, go get the gloves. That was that was it. That's how we settled it. So I already had that part of me in me, but something about MMA allowed me to be able to open my hips and turn a corner as an outside linebacker and pass rusher. So it was natural for me to kind of start maneuvering into um into combat sports when I retired. So I went to I started broadcasting. My first job was uh, NFL Network. I was there for a couple of years when I when I retired. Uh, but I was starting to kind of build the lights out brand. So I started selling, you know, lights out T-shirts and lights out hats. Um, and my first store, a uh, big store that I got into was Tilly's. Nice. Um, you know, so I got into like 50 Tilly's and we sold out. We did well. And at the time I had uh, probably about 12, about 12 employees. Um, this was in 2015, 2016. So we were booming. And, you know, that got into 350 stores total in the country wow. that I was selling lights out product into. So I learned the retail game really fast. And we were doing well. Uh, so I was doing the TV and doing the lights out thing. So I, to me, it was all about branding. It always was about branding. Uh, and then the lights out name I, I always looked at uh, that was kind of bigger than me. I just kind of put a, a sack dance to it and, and you know, had some hits. So I kind of gave it a basis for people to say, oh, yeah, that's lights out. But to me, it was, you know, it was a brand on its own. I was just the one kind of pushing it, using the face and using um, some of the leverage I had. So that was it, man. I just I, I encourage guys all the time when I talk to them that get into start getting the stuff you have a passion for. 
you know, and then try to find that, find out what that passion is before you retire, man, because you have that, that blank spot in that first year where you're like, hell, man, what, you know, what do I do? What do I want to do? So you have to start like planting the seeds a little bit the last couple of years before you know you're going to be done in all seasons, you know, a couple of downtimes or whatever, start to set things up. So, you, you know, have that blank space when you retire. I'm excited to tell you about a product that I've been absolutely loving lately, and that's the Uller from ChiliPad. It is a temperature-controlled mat that goes under your sheets on your bed and controls your body temperature throughout the night. I originally heard this product endorsed by Tim Ferriss, Tony Robbins, David Nurse, and others, and I knew I had to give it a try. Maximizing the amount of deep sleep you get in a night is so important, especially when it's not possible at times to get a full seven or eight hours. ChiliPad puts you at the perfect temperature all night to promote deep sleep. When you get enough deep sleep, your learning capability is higher, your memory is stronger, you're prepared to take on your toughest workouts. In other words, you're in peak physical and mental shape after a night of true recovery. That's why finding a way to get more deep sleep is always at the top of my priority list. I will attach a link to purchase the chili pad in the show notes and use code ERIC22 at checkout to get 22% off your order. I personally use the Uller and I love it. That's great stuff there. And, and to me, you know, I, I loved how you tried stuff. Like you, you went into broadcasting and you know what? You had other passions, but at least you tried it. And it gave yeah. you something to do and it gave you a schedule and it gave you something to work towards while you were finding the other stuff you were passionate about and, and allowing you to transition into Lights Out Extreme and the clothing and everything else. You know, I, I, I think some guys just think, well, I, I couldn't do that. Or, uh, well, what if I don't like it? Well, who cares? Give it a shot, figure it out, and go try some things. How do you stay in shape on a day-to-day -day basis? What's your nutrition like? Um, and then my final point on this is you stay, you stay like you're looking to be in fighting shape. Are you going to hop in the ring for your own company? <laughs> so, okay, so, so, so this thing, um, like I said again, we're, we're the most disciplined people, people on the planet Earth, right? And working out for me, I always – I did it to look good and feel good. And I just so happened to play football with it, if that make any sense. It was right. like something I just enjoyed doing anyway. I was like the mirror – you know, I'm curls in the mirror and I got abs and I'm doing it. I wanted to go to the beach and, you know, show the girls or something like that, right? So that was like always, number one, just to feel good and look good. So now it's kind of transition, right? Because back then uh, it was the heavy power cleans. It was the heavy squat. It was the heavy bench. Um, stuff that I wish I would have known that I didn't need as much, you know, kind of tearing your muscles down and tearing your ligaments and your joints and all that stuff. So when I retired, it changed. I got into more of the MMA working out, right, because it was easier. You can get the conditioning, but it was easier on your joints and stuff like that. And I, I think that a lot of people, when they think about combat sports, they just walk, think about walking in the gym and getting punched in your face, right? right? And, it, and it's not like that. It's, it's many forms of, of combat sports, jujitsu and, you know, all kind of different things. So I, I got into uh, really taking care of my body. But the second part of it is when you get older, you start to understand and know your body more, right? Okay, I shouldn't eat this, or I should eat that, or maybe I shouldn't eat all this stuff before I go to sleep, or I take a nap, and it's just going to sit around. Uh, you start watching your calorie intake. Um, you know, I'm a big supplement guy, you know, fish oils and flaxseed and all this stuff. So it, it became, um, and just a couple of years ago, also CBD, you know, mixing some kind of CBD and all this stuff, which I, which I think is 
is very important. I think that um, sports are kind of going to tr start transitioning into that, you know, a little bit down the road when it's more accepted. Um, but it's, it was all about a regiment. And I still train five, six days a week. Um, I spar, you know, I, I actually have real live sparring, two, you know, still now two days a week. Um, and, and there's a possibility, man, that if I had a, 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 a former a WWE guy, right, or um, a, a former football player, basketball player, or, you know, somebody, an actor that, that wanted to fight, that wanted to have a, you know, exhibition fight in MMA, I'll fight him in my league all day. And I've been, and I've been trying to. Uh, two years ago, I, I, you know, I called out Dave Bautista from the WWE. Yeah. I definitely you know, we had an MMA background. We had a, um, a bunch of mutual friends. And I said, yo, let, go, go talk to Dave for me. Let's see if you want to, you know, go scrap for three rounds and, you know, put on a good show for people. And uh, so, yeah, if, if, there's a, if there's somebody out there, a former athlete or a guy from another sport or whatever it is, they want to scrap and put on a, a show for the people, man, we're doing the lights out all day. Man, you heard it here first. What's next with Eric Wood? Sean Merriman is looking for contestants. And luckily, I don't have to step up to the plate myself because I have the career-ending neck injury. I can't, I can't do that anymore. So uh, I'm out, but uh, we, we got the hook out there now. Let's see who bites on that sucker. Uh, we're going to hit some recurring questions. We'll get you out of here, brother. What's your favorite yep. book? Um, the Shoe Dog, Phil Knight. I got, it. I got it sitting right over there behind me. That's that's my all time favorite man because I like I said I've been in Brandon and and and, and um uh, apparel and you know I'll, I'll eventually get into shoes and stuff like that at some point. Uh, you guys can check me out at shoplightsout.com. I got you know all the lights out stuff up there, but I also have other workout equipment, Everlast and uh, Nozzle Boxer. So I'm basically uh, one of the biggest third party uh, distributors online in the in the country for a lot of these products. Um, so the shoe dog, man, it was something about how Phil Knight built um, built Nike and his start and some of the things that I, I, I love hearing stories like that because you think you're so much different than everybody else. And obviously they're, they're a company now that's doing 30, 40 billion dollars a year in revenue. But he it was a lot of similarities in how I started or where I'm at right now that's, that's in that book. So I would say that. Secondly, um, I listen to audio books, man. I probably listen to three or four audio books a month. Uh, uh, Grant Cordon, who got the 10X, uh, yeah. him, yeah, he got uh, Sell or Sell Be Sold. That's another one. I just finished listening to um, 50 Cent. 50 Cent got a, a book called Hustle Hard, Hustle Harder, Hustle Smarter, or something like that. It's 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 also great because it's, it's coming from a different perspective of somebody who came from the streets and kind of how he his mentality has changed over time. So that's uh that's another one. So I'm I'm always um uh what's the other one called the um how to influence friends or something uh influence yeah, yeah I just I I I, I got to get the name of that one. But that's that's another one. Um I, I'm I, at least four or five a month, man. Probably. Man, I love it. And and you know what? Listening to you speak, hearing your mindset, it doesn't surprise me that you're a reader. It may surprise some just because you don't think of a outside linebacker turned MMA turned WWE with a clothing brand to be like a book guy. Jim Quick says leaders are readers and you're a leader in your business. You were on the field and it doesn't surprise me that you're a reader, brother. What role does your faith play in your life? Um, well, I, I grew up in a, a Southern Baptist church, right? So my, my family, the core of my family is from South Carolina. 
uh, Charleston, South Carolina, and they all migrated up to Maryland. So my my grandmother and everybody, we they took us to church, or you got your you got your butt whipped if you didn't if you didn't get up, you wasn't ready in time. So uh, so that was, and I, and I always think that whatever your ground and whatever your bases are, when you start, that's how you are. And then people, you know, kind of lose their way and stuff, and, and get into other stuff. And I, I think that for me, um, because I was around so many different type of people, you're open to hearing other religions. But when I was growing up, man, it was like, you know, Baptist, Southern Baptist Church, you know, nothing else, right? That was Sunday, this is what we're doing, this is what we're doing. But, um, you know, went to the University of Maryland, which was a, a, a very diverse background. You got different religions and different cultures. So you're starting to hear about Buddhism and all. And, I, I'm, and I'm open to all kinds of stuff. But, you know, I always, I, if you don't have some kind of faith, if you don't believe in something, and I, whatever that something is, I think you can get extremely lost out here, man, because there's too many things. There's bad things on social media, bad things, you know, everywhere. And if you don't have that, man, you can get extremely lost. Man, I love how you talk about the, the foundation being set for you. The monks say if you give them a child for seven years, they can predict the next 70 years of their life. And so it's, it's, it's fun. It, it's interesting to me, and, and I love hearing you talk about how that foundation was set for you, and you still remember it and still talk about it now. What was your first car? Uh, it was a, uh, Oldsmobile. It was a 1996 or 97 Oldsmobile I got, you know, when I was in high school and that thing sucked. Right. I mean, it was bad, but it got me there. It got me to where I was going and, and I was happy about it, man. That was, that was it. I had a bad one too. Uh, this would be a good one from you. Who's the most famous person in your phone? Uh, Man, I gotta. I'm, I'm out. You know, I'm out here, man. So I know. Uh, I probably, maybe Brad, maybe Brad Pitt. I wow. Would, I would that's yeah. that's a, that's a first on the podcast. That's that's a big dog. What was your favorite wing spot in Buffalo? So when I when I first got there, you couldn't tell me nothing about Anchor Bar, right? Like I would go and spend evenings at Anchor Bar because it had a thousand. 6,000 sauces on there. So I would just go, hey, let me get five of these with that on it. Let me get five. So I would just yeah. go through the list. I've tried every sauce at Anchor Bar, believe it or not. I mean, every single one. Um, but Duff, at Duffy's is good, too. Is, that, is it Duffy's? Duff. No, not Duffy's. Duff's. Duff's. Those, those two, I, I, would, I would say. I mean, people got their own preferences, but either, either Duff's or, or Anchor Bar. Nice. What's your favorite restaurant out where you're at? Out here now? Yeah. Uh, Tao, because I, you know, I'm a, I'm a big sushi lover, so I, I love Tao restaurant, uh, and Catch. Tao and Catch are probably my two favorite ones. Yeah, those are both great spots. All right, last one, and everyone gets asked this: What's next for Sean Merriman? What What do you see coming here in 2021 for you? Well, um, I have. Uh, right now, I created and wrote a show about a year or so ago, and obviously this pandemic threw all of us off. But, um, you know, I'm a big component, and like we talked about earlier, of guys retiring early, whether it's injury or whatever it is, and looking some, for some, that next something to do. Um, there are a ton of former athletes, not just football players, you know, hockey players, rugby players that are trying to transition into combat sports. And uh, so, you know, I have a, a show that I created that we're I'm about to shoot the pilot for here soon about athletes from other sports transitioning into combat sports. So 
you know, I, I want to you know, look at look at guys giving a second opportunity because I, you know, when I retired, I was 28 years old, which is pretty young. And you can have a, a, a long, full fight career and make a make a ton of money and make you know make a life for you and your family. Um, but also, you know, I think that we get pigeonholed in being an athlete, right? Um, and it's it's a lot of I don't I don't know I don't know what you want to call it. Like that people don't believe you can do certain things or that you're not capable of something or you're known as like the football player. And so for me, I have this mindset to like, okay, I'm, I'm going to show you, like, I'm going to, I'm going to grow something really big and it's going to be out of this world. So for me, it's just making the lights out brand, man, just a, uh, a world renowned name and company. Uh, and then me and my background where I grew up in PG County is special because a lot of people are not able to do or don't have the opportunity to do what I'm doing now. And so I want to make the lights out brand, brand, man, though, just a world renowned company and, and people know who we are. I love it. I love all, everything about that. Anything I can do for you, you just holler, brother. And where can, people, where can people find out more about you online, on social media? Yeah, you can check the company out uh, at lightsoutxf.com for the Fight League. Uh, we're trying to get started back here soon in the next, you know, I'll call it a few months or so, depending on when this pandemic pick up or slow, or slow down, however you want to look at it. Right. Uh, and then shoplightsout.com is all the work, the workout apparel, uh, T-shirts and, and, and stuff, and also – the workout equipment there as well my man well i appreciate your time coming on the podcast i love my time spent with you in buffalo i love when we get to connect at either super bowls draft events whatever it may be you're a joy to be around you're 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 a joy to listen to on the podcast follow him on social media those links will be connected in the show notes it will uplift you when you see him working out in the gym it will uplift you it will inspire you to get into the gym and he's also hilarious, too. He brings a lot of humor to the table. Brother, I appreciate your time. He would, man. Anytime, brother. You got it. This episode is also brought to you by Punched Energy Chews, and these have become a favorite product of mine for energy and fitness. They use a patented formula with tons of scientific studies, and they start with pure green Arabica coffee bean caffeine. It improves your physical and mental performance, increases your metabolism, helps burn calories and body fat, and they also help boost your immunity, which is very important at this time because they're a great source of vitamin C. They're also ultra low glycemic, no spikes, no bounces, and no crashes. What you're going to do is go to punchedenergy.com, use code ericwood20 for 20% off. Give them a try. Link in the show notes. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend or with your followers on social media. Also, shoot us a rating and support the sponsors whose information is in the show notes. Until next time, as I tell my daughter before she leaves for school every day, spread some joy and make it the best day ever.